Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and to overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist. And I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. Now today I'm speaking to Suvi Honkanen. Suvi is originally from Helsinki in Finland, but now lives in Atlanta. Suvi danced with the Finnish National Ballet for nine years, and today she talks about her experience of eating disorders in the ballet world and how she felt the pressure to kind of lose weight and to look a certain way, to kind of meet the aesthetic demanded by this profession. Suvi shares her story very openly and she talks about how she has now come to a place of finding peace with food, finding an identity separate from dance where she can still enjoy it and also finding healthier strategies to cope with her emotions and to offer herself more compassion and understanding. So I'm really looking forward to this episode. Let's get to the interview. Hi Suvi and thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Hi, thank you for having me. So could you just introduce yourself, please, to the listeners? Sure. So I'm Suvi Honkanen. I'm originally from Helsinki, Finland. I'm a dancer, ballet dancer, and writer. I danced with Finnish National Ballet for nine years professionally. And in 2019, I decided to step away and explore something new and something different. And now I, I still dance, but I mostly do writing. Yeah. <laughs> okay, lovely. Well, thank you so much for that. So, Suvi, can you sort of like take us right back? Like, you know, what age did you start dancing? Yeah, I started dancing, I think, when I was three almost because my mom had a dance school. So I started dancing at a very young age, but it became serious when I was around seven. Sure. Yeah. Sure. And did you, because I, I know obviously we're going to talk about this a bit more and, um, mm-hmm. you know, as, as the podcast goes on about difficulties plus with eating and body image in that world. Yeah. You know, right back at the beginning, what was your sort of relationship with food and your body like at that sort of young age in dance? I was a very, very active kid, as most kids are, I suppose. I never thought about my body or food or I didn't have any issues with it. I ate like a horse, (laughs) but it didn't bother me at all. And I was just an active growing kid. And I had a very healthy relationship with food. You know, I I would eat sometimes bad stuff and wouldn't think twice about it. And at times a bit more healthy stuff. And it was just like a very natural, there was a natural balance there, but it started to kind of shift away from that when I was around 14, 15, which is when I was told for the first time by my ballet teacher that you should lose a little bit of weight. And it was like an instant switch of looking at my body just as a healthy, you know, growing kid's body to, oh, I look wrong or I'm fat or I started finding all these things that were wrong in my body that I hadn't even noticed before. Mm, sure. So sort of up until that point, had you just been just you just been quite happily dancing and almost just quite body neutral, almost just not even thinking about your body in that way? Yeah, I like the way I looked, you know, not that I was. Yeah, I didn't even think about it, actually. 
Mm, I was good. very yeah neutral about my body. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it's really positive to hear actually. I think as well that you obviously had been dancing from such a young age, and actually yeah. you did have all those years without being yeah. body conscious. So I think I sometimes think it must be quite hard as a ballet dancer, like always being in front of the mirror in like a leotard. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, seeing other bodies. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I do Um, remember there was one time that I compared my like shoulders, my broader shoulders to another friend who was like more petite. And I remember being like, huh, we're different, but that's okay. (laughs) I didn't, Mm. didn't look at it as a negative thing back then. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's just like we're different. Okay. So yeah, obviously when you were 14 slash 15, you were kind of told that it might be helpful to lose a bit of weight. Do you think as well, was that a message that a lot of people kind of would get get in the dance world? Is that is that quite a common thing to be told? Sure. Yeah. Especially at that age, your body is changing for, for most adolescents and for girls. And I mean, I can't say for every ballet school, but most of my friends in the ballet world have heard something like that when their body started changing. Or even if it wasn't, you need to lose weight, they would hear that, ah, you need to start being careful because you're a teenager now and your body's going to change. So you really need to watch what you eat now. Mm. So it is a common thing to hear, unfortunately. It's Mm. a very vulnerable age also. Yeah, no, very vulnerable age. I'm guessing as well, like when you're doing a lot of hours of dance as well, you probably get quite hungry, don't you? It must be quite hard to be told you need to be a bit more careful when you've probably got quite a big appetite from being so physically active. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, then the moment you start to restrict and not eat enough, you feel it in the way you dance. You know, your jumps are less energetic and and also your motivation. I remember just feeling for the first time, like, I don't want to go to ballet class because I felt tired. Mm. Sure. it makes sense. So when you were sort of told at 14 slash 15 that you needed mm-hmm. to lose weight, is that when things changed? Did you sort of suddenly start to be very, very careful with what you're eating? Yeah, I wasn't able to really lose weight for many years, actually. I just sort of would restrict like extreme, extreme restriction, you know, I would eat like an apple and two pieces of bread. And then when the weekend came, I would just eat everything. So it always balanced itself out so that I, I wouldn't lose weight, but I also wasn't happy with myself and I hated my body. And also the the girls in my ballet class didn't have healthy, (laughs) healthy habits. We would talk about, you know, what to eat right before ballet class to sustain ourselves for as long as possible with as little calories as possible. And we would talk about stuff like thigh gaps and, you know, you need to have certain bones that show and all these things. So it wasn't that I necessarily lost weight immediately. I just developed a very unhealthy relationship with food and my body already at that age. Yeah, no, sure. I mean, it's really sad for you, isn't it? Because I think you almost had the worst of kind of both worlds, didn't you? Because it sounds like in a way you you suddenly became much more conscious of your body, but then it just suddenly changed your whole relationship with food. So you were either like starving and, you know, I guess not having energy, not being able to concentrate, or you were like, you know, turning to all the food that you'd 
forbidden and then eating it in large amounts and then feeling really bad and worse about your body yeah it definitely messed with my self-esteem because I I felt like I was being a bad dancer when I ate something unhealthy there's this weird culture of shame when it comes to weight and and ballet that teachers often just assume that if you're not stick thin that means you're not motivated or dedicated or whatever it is which is just simply not true I mean you can't just make an assumption on somebody's dedication for an art form from what they look like but that's that's how I felt my teachers looked at me as if I was a lazy dancer because I wasn't stick thin sure yeah no that's so hard isn't it and I think it just shows just like you know the kind of toxicity of diet culture and I guess how that's just like yeah even stronger and something like dance isn't it where yeah. and where the kind of like yeah being thin is held up as this kind of morally superior thing almost yeah and, um, exactly yeah exactly so Stevie as well obviously like you said your mum was in the dance world as well mm-hmm. she was a dance teacher like how would was she sort of supportive and helpful when you were told to lose weight or how did she sort of deal with that or was she even involved at all Yeah, she was. My mom is a dance pedagogue herself, and she was very upset to hear that I was told to lose weight. And she was worried about my health and mental health mostly. (laughs) So she, she tried to encourage me not to restrict what I was eating, just to trust that my body will find its natural, natural weight and exercise and training will, you know, do its job. And, but I think I was at that point just too far, too far down the rabbit hole, I guess you could say. I, I didn't care what anybody else said anymore. All I, all I heard in my head was, you need to lose weight. You need to lose weight. Mm-hmm. So yeah. she tried to be supportive and, and she was, but I don't think anything at that point would have helped me to sort of come back from what my ballet teacher had told me and what all my fellow ballet students were conversing about yeah well no it's so understandable isn't it as well because I think at that age you're going to value your the opinion of your peers a lot more in a way that's kind of a a natural kind of healthy part of growing up isn't it yeah 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 and you're still so impressionable and haven't really found your own identity completely so just Mm. sort of searching for you know ways to cope with what other people tell you and you know what society tells you and all these things yeah no of course so what sort of happened then like you said you were sort of like you know quite quickly into this sort of like real restriction and then maybe Mm -hmm. eating more at the weekends and sort of of what happened then how did that sort of develop well I started noticing probably a year from there that I really had a, a something was wrong because I would feel so, so guilty after eating. And I would start, you know, exercising crazy and like restricting even more the next day. And I realized already that something is not really right here, but I wasn't able to fix it by myself because in my mind, what would fix the situation was to lose weight. So when I was around 16, 17, I finally was able to find a way that that helped me lose weight And that was to, I decided I'm only going to eat fruits, vegetables, lean meats, and a certain type of bread, like a low carb rye bread. And 
I just, I just made myself, you know, a promise that I'm not going to eat more on the weekends. And I started losing weight. And then that was super exciting. I felt like I was discovering a whole new person. And finally, I was this, you know, person who looked the right way a ballet dancer should look like. And I started getting more attention from my teachers. And that just fed the motivation to lose more and lose more and lose more until I was at 39 kilos and somewhere completely different where I didn't mean to end up in, in the first place. Yeah. And it's sure. So it sounds like you, you, you know, you probably, you became really sort of extremely thin, didn't you? And I, I imagine really quite unwell. Yes. Very unwell. Very mm. unwell. It happened very fast. I think I was 49 kilos when I started losing weight. And then I went to 39 and I'm 161 centimeters. So yeah, it was very unhealthy, but I was completely blind to that. I thought I looked, I thought I looked the best I ever had. And I thought the people telling me that I look skinny, I I took it as a compliment instead of people being frightened or scared for me. I Mm. thought the skinnier, the better, the more people look at me with a sort of concerned look the bigger the compliment is to me. So it was a very twisted way of looking at it and dealing with it. And it sounds like by that time then, even people perhaps in the ballet world were recognizing that you Mm -hmm. had taken it too far. Yeah, yeah, they were. It it depended. My ballet teacher said that as long as you can dance, keep keep going, which was not very good advice to give a 17-year-old. And some people said that you, you look very weak and it's not nice to look at you dancing anymore, but I was just, ah, they're just jealous because I'm skinny and they're not. Mm. And did it really impact your dance when you were sort of, you know, that unwell? Definitely. I mean, there was some weird like euphoria almost that I (laughs) experienced when my stomach would grumble and I could feel how loose my clothing was that I would almost be able to convince myself that I danced even better now because I look better, but my jumps were really bad. I felt my legs felt heavy all the time. And also just your reactivity and like explosive energy. It was just all gone. Mm, Sure. So, and did that really as well, like sort of, impact your you know were you able to still still continue with dance and you know normal day-to-day practicing or did it did it mean you had to take a sort of step back or anything from it I was able to continue the ballet school gave me an ultimatum that they won't allow me back to the studios if I don't start eating more but then I was able to have my mom call them and convince them that I'm fine I'm fine and I can dance and they didn't let me perform or go to a ballet competition because because of the situation, but I was still able to go to class and and train mm. until then the summer vacation came and naturally we had a, a bit of a break then, which yeah. is when the bulimia started for the first time. Okay. And do, what do you think, um, was there a particular trigger for the eating disorder to sort of move from anorexia into bulimia? I think it was just, I felt a sense of relief when we had a holiday and I knew I wouldn't have to go to the studio tomorrow and look at myself in a leotard in the mirror. And there was just this, like, it was my way of 
relaxing almost to just eat whatever. And I felt, I guess the sugar rush or whatever it was, I don't know, but for a moment I felt super excited and happy and on top of the world until I realized what had happened and I felt shame and, and embarrassment. And then I thought I have to get rid of this feeling. Mm. And so I would, I would resort to either extreme restriction and extreme exercise or, or throwing up. Mm. Sure. And did you find as well, did it become a sort of behavior, were you sort of binging and vomiting like really regularly mm-hmm. or was it, did it become like, you know, behavior that really took over? Yeah, that summer I did it almost every weekend and I was very frightened of it. I didn't tell anyone. I didn't understand what was going on because I felt like I had no control over it. I felt like there were two people living inside of me, like a angel and a demon. And I didn't know how to control when the other was in control and when the other was not. So it was very frightening and I felt very alone with that problem and then when we started ballet again I got a contract from the company and I thought okay now I have to fix this I have to be able to perform and rehearse and all these things and I thought I I can't I can't keep doing this but I just couldn't stop anymore I would go a couple months without doing it and then have a couple really bad months where I would do it many times a week and I just felt like I had no control over it yeah I mean it's horrible isn't it I think when you're in that cycle of restriction and binging and purging it's it's such a horrible dark place feels kind of like an addiction doesn't it I think definitely it definitely felt like an addiction Mm. it's weird because after vomiting I would always tell myself I'm never going to do this again this is horrible this is not worth it this is why would I do this I I have to stop this and I would be so sure that this is when it stops. But then I would end up in the same situation, either in a couple of weeks or a couple of days. And I, I would just wonder, why can't I stop even if I want to? Mm. Yeah, no, it, it's just horrible, isn't it? How it just kind of has this horrible grip on you. And I think, yeah. I think once you get your foot on that slippery slope, you, you know, you kind of can fantasize about going back to where you were before where you used to do the sort of pure restriction but it's almost like once that door has been opened it's just very very hard isn't it to kind of go back again yeah yeah because there was something so fun about the eating part that was the fun part I liked the eating part yeah and I was I suppose just I thought that I was not strong enough to resist the temptation but really it was just the whole cycle was just so wrong that I couldn't fix one without fixing the other yeah that makes sense doesn't it and I think as well like in a way you know when any human being is restricting that much in between it's almost like binge eating is an inevitable outcome isn't it you know I guess yeah body is just starving yeah it's Um, just not sustainable yeah mm. and were you like when you sort of went into a more bulimic cycle did that impact your weight or were you you sort of still very underweight or I was still quite underweight for most of that fall or autumn I mean (laughs) but then I had a really bad injury which probably stemmed from all these problems and I had to step away for almost four or five months I had a a stress fracture in my, in my foot. And 
that's when it sort of my body changed again. I gained a lot of weight again, like seven kilos. And that was terrible for me. I felt like I was another person again. It just messed with my identity. Mm. Yeah, because I I couldn't, you know, train the same way anymore with my injury. And also I had a lot more time. Yeah. I was alone. So eating was sort of what I turned to, to feel better. Sure. I mean, it's so understandable, isn't it? Like I think a lot of people that are really involved in sport and at a competitive level, you know, when you've been training in a very disciplined way for a long time, and then you are injured. I mean, I think it's understandably it's like a huge dent isn't it to identity and yeah yeah, everything that you know and kind of gives you normal self-esteem is kind of pulled from beneath your feet yeah yeah definitely it's a coping mechanism (laughs) yeah so what was so what sort of happened after that Stevie how what was the sort of road I mean were you actually getting any help at any any point here or or not yet well I was by this point, I was 18, and so I'm 27 now. So the next, I'd say, six years, I just struggled with being extremely thin and anorexic to gaining weight and binging and purging. So it was just a cycle that took over for six years. There were months that were better and easier and months that were worse, and I did try to get help. I went to a couple food therapists, are they called? What are they called? Eating eating disorders. Yeah, so yeah. yeah so yeah. In, in yeah. the UK, I guess it's like therapists or psych- psychotherapists or counselor right, would do right. more the or, and then like dietitian would do more like or right, nutritionist yeah. would do the food bit. Yeah. Yeah, I did go to a dietitian, that's the word I was looking for. <laughs> Thank <Sure>. you. <laughs> but it was always very sort of okay, here's I'll print this schedule for you at nine o'clock you eat this at 12 o'clock you eat this and I mean that was just it didn't help me at all because most of those foods were very triggering to me I had really weird things that like rules that I had made myself you know I can't if I eat a red apple I can't eat a green apple that same day or if I if I have an orange I can't have cucumbers I have to have carrots so this weird like color coding thing was going on and if I, if I eat zucchinis, I can't eat cucumbers the same day because they're similar, but not the same. Very, very strange rules that I had created in my head and that were very difficult to let go of. But it wasn't until I think when I turned 25 was, was when I slowly started to, I would say, seek peace with myself. Maybe for the first time I was faced with the question that do I want to be skinny or do I want to be happy? Mm. Yeah. Sure. And was there sort of anything as well that sort of had really sort of triggered that? Because I guess it sounds like you'd been in like relentless cycles of, yeah, yeah, for the previous few years. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I can't really pinpoint anything specific. I think it was a couple of different things. First of all, just so much time had passed and I I was 25 as a quarter, you know, gone. And I, I was like, what am I doing with my life? This is terrible. I'm not happy. And I'm 25 now. And this is not how I want to live my life. It was just a moment when I just realized that I, I need to let go of this or otherwise my my life is just 
not ever going to be enjoyable. And I, I think I made the realization that it, this is just not worth it anymore. Mm, so sure. that's where the road to recovery sort of started. Sure. Yeah. And it sounds like you really just kind of hit that wall and you're almost just realizing like almost yeah. like just like a weariness of like, yeah. I just can't keep doing this. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't like one specific moment, like a aha moment or anything like that. It was a really slow, slow process of, it took months and months and months for me to kind of go through these thoughts of, oh, what is this? Oh, I don't like this. How can I stop this? And realizing that I need to do something if I want to stop this and no one can stop this for me. So did yeah. you actually have to sort of take a step back from dance to be able to, to do that, to be able to start healing? No, well, sort of. <laughs> I was dancing that whole spring my birthday is in the spring. So I was dancing from January to, I think, April. And then I had another injury. I had a hip surgery. I didn't have to step back because of the eating disorder. I stepped back because of something else, which was probably, I don't know if I would have been able to make that decision without this injury. So it kind of came at a good moment. Yeah. It forced me, it forced me to take a step back. So that whole you know, rest of the spring and summer, I had some time and I was able to reflect on a lot of things. And I, for the first time in my life, wasn't stressing about being back in shape when the season starts at the ballet. And then I think I returned to the ballet in end of August. So I had a good, what is that? One May, like five months, I would say of sick leave. And I, I did turn, I mean, I did return with a slightly different mindset, but still definitely not healthy and recovered. And mm -hmm. I just, I just stuck to it. I continued searching for other ways to deal with my emotions. And it was, you know, downhill, uphill, downhill, uphill, but <laughs> the mm. general direction was better <laughs> already at that point. Yeah, no, sure. So it sounds like, yeah, something had shifted in you, hadn't it? Perhaps that you although it was a very bumpy road, you were kind of heading yeah. in a different direction and yeah, you didn't, you were trying to kind of break out some of those old cycles. Yeah. Yeah. I made this, I guess, some sort of revelation, you could call it that food was a relationship just like any other relationship, like re relationship with my friends or my parents. And this was just a relationship that I had to fix and that I had to focus on and give time to. I can't just assume it's going to fix itself. I, I need to put effort into it. And what really helped you sort of a, along that kind of bumpy road? Like what, what things are the kind of main things that really sort of did support you? I think one really important thing was just talking with my, with my parents and my friends. Just for the first time, I was sharing all of this to someone and it felt so good to to receive empathy and compassion from them. It, it sort of gave me a example of how I should treat myself as well with empathy and compassion. So that was a really, really big, important part of recovering, just being able to talk about everything that had happened and let go of so much shame and guilt. Mm. And I guess another thing I started to realize that 
food was my way of numbing emotions and feelings. And every time I wanted to not feel anything, I would just turn to food. Or every time I felt too much of something, I would turn to food. I would eat when I was sad or relieved or when I wanted to relax or when I was disappointed. It was that was the way that I dealt with an emotion. And I went to therapy for half a year for about six months. And we sort of worked together to find alternative ways to deal with feelings and experiences that life just throws at you. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So I would say those two things, realizing that I can look at myself with empathy and not always this shame as well as finding alternative ways, a new skill set to to deal with whatever was going on in life. Mm. Yeah, and it sounds so helpful, doesn't it? And it just sounds like being able to talk to people and like you said, in a way, receiving that compassion and empathy. Yeah. It almost yeah. like gave you permission to maybe do that for yourself a bit more. Yeah, yeah. And I also, I read a couple of books by two ballet dancers, Misty Copeland and Jennifer Ringer, they both struggled with a similar problem and realizing that I'm not alone was an extremely important part as well. Cause you, you find solace from others and you find solace from others being vulner- vulnerable as well. It, it really helped me understand that not everything is my fault mm. and other people struggle with this too. Yeah. No, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And no, yeah. really helpful, isn't it? Hearing other people's yeah. stories and definitely, definitely. And you said as well that you felt that you, you kind of needed to learn new ways to deal with your emotions. And it yeah. sounds like for you talking to people was a really valuable thing that helped. And what, what sort of other things do you think you found to sort of help deal with your emotions? Mm. Well, I think it was that same spring that I started my university studies. I was sort of craving something different from ballet, something a bit more freeing in terms of creativity. In ballet, it's very constrained. So I started my creative writing studies while I was still working at the ballet. And I found that writing was extremely therapeutic for me. It it helped me just gain new insights and understand myself more and also just kind of get a little bit of distance for from those things when you see them on the paper it's easier to kind of distinguish okay there's me and then there's my problem my problem is not a part of me necessarily it's not my identity Mm. writing writing and talking I would say were my my new skill set of coping with feelings yeah well no I mean that's so great to hear and it sounds like as well yeah like with the writing as well do you think it sounds like it was really helpful just to shift a little bit away from the dance world you know not not abandoning it completely but that whole thing about identity and it sounds like with writing it perhaps gave you something else to sort of focus on and express your creativity maybe and like yeah not so focused on the body absolutely yeah I mean I ballet was my whole identity since I was a child I never thought of what am I if I'm not a ballet dancer I felt that all I am is a ballet dancer and unfortunately though ballet is wonderful and beautiful it is 
very much tied to what you look like. So I felt that my worth and value was tied to what I look like. And realizing that I'm good at something else and I'm capable of something else that has nothing to do with my weight or my body fat percentage was was a very liberating realization. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure. And do you think as well, I mean, is the ballet world, you know, because I guess you're not so long out of it, but it, mm-hmm. does it remain as sort of, you know, strict in the demand it places on young people and you know is there any sort of movement away to away from this really kind of thin ideal and all this sort of pressure to look a certain way yeah it really depends on you know each country city company ballet school they're all different in some ways yeah generally I have seen a lot more criticism towards that demand to be very thin in the recent years which is fantastic but it's still a big taboo. It really is. And I mean, I have many friends who still are in the ballet world and are told very, very bad, not healthy ways to, to lose weight. And it is still a very big problem in the ballet world, which is why I decided to partly decided to step away from there. I just didn't want to be a part of it anymore. Yeah. Sure. And I guess, I guess it's just, it's a sad part of that world, isn't it? Like, I'm, you know, I'm sure there's like so many like amazing positives from it, but yeah, yeah. It's, it's sad for you that maybe you had to step away from your love. Um, one of the loves of your life with ballet, because yeah. in a way you couldn't really have your mental health intact and remain in yeah. that world. There were so many, so many years of very negative thoughts that were tied to ballet and even just the building, the opera house, it was a very triggering place to even be at physically. And I realized that my life is not going to end if I change the course of my story. And I'm the writer of my story. I can, I can do whatever I want with it. So there's just, you know, it's little things, little comments, looks. It's not even necessarily that somebody tells you, oh, you have to lose weight that's the big problem. It's those little, little things that just all contribute to that toxic environment. Mm. I, I, I heard that somebody, somebody was told that female dancers shouldn't eat lunch, that you should only eat a bit of chocolate and coffee. And while perhaps a grown woman with a good self-esteem can disregard that, an impressionable 17-year-old or 18-year-old will think, oh, that's how I have to be. If I want to be a ballet dancer, I can't eat. Mm. Yeah, no, it's so crazy, isn't it? Because I kind of think, you know, in lots of other sports, you know, nutrition and like really fueling the body is much more valued, isn't it? And I guess, you know, it just seems really crazy in a way because if you're a ballet dancer, you are an elite athlete in exactly the same way, aren't you? Where you're really, you're just needing that fuel to you know be able to do the job yeah absolutely and ballet is pretty crazy if you think about sports in general there's usually that sort of training period and then the peak season where you need to be at the best shape but ballet is 10 months of being at your best shape you need to perform 10 months of the year in your at the peak so it's very difficult to sustain that and that's why there are so many injuries in in ballet companies and 
it just does not help if you don't have proper nutrition. <laughs> mm, so the recovery time after a performance, the performance ends at 10 p.m. You go home, you sleep, you have to be back at the studio at 10 a.m. The recovery period is very is very short for that. So proper nutrition should definitely be seen as an essential part of that whole equation. And unfortunately, right now it's it's not. Yeah. Although I do see I do see a bit of steps in the right direction. <laughs> yeah, well, no, that's good to hear, isn't it? But yeah. you know, it, yeah. it's so interesting to hear your experiences. So Stevie, what's your sort of relationship now like with food and with dance and you know, how are you feeling about all of that? Well, I would say that my relationship with food is really good now, which I didn't think I would ever say if if someone would have told me five years ago that someday you're going to have a good relationship with food, I would have laughed at their face probably. (laughs) So I still have days that I feel restricted by those old rules, but I really try to remind myself that there's no need for that anymore. And I try to, to find enjoyment and fulfilling experiences somewhere else in my life. And, I heard this quote once somebody said that the best way to build a good self-esteem is to do estimable things to yourself. And I always try to keep that in my mind that an estimable thing is not to restrict yourself, is not to talk negatively to yourself. It's not to purge or to binge. Those are not estimable things to do to yourself. And in turn, I try to think an estimable thing to do to myself would be to talk nicely and be encouraging and find creative outlets and experiences that bring me joy and a sense of fulfillment. So I still eat pretty healthy and I do enjoy the way healthy food makes me feel. Mm. But, you know, I, sometimes I have some ice cream and sometimes I have some French fries and I know that it's going to be okay. It's not the end of the world. I trust myself that that I can deal with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, it's so good to hear to, that, you know, that you're moving more and more to just feeling more relaxed with food. Yeah. And I really like that whole thing about doing esteemable kind of acts that are going to make you yeah. feel good. I yeah. think that's a really wise way to look at things. Yeah, it was definitely that quote was something that really stuck to my mind. I can't even remember where I heard it, but I just remember that, I felt like, right, that's, that's true. That's not, that's not a good thing to do to myself. And would I do that to my friend? No. Why would I do it to myself? Mm, sure. And you still dance, do you, but sort of, you know, not in the same way that you used to? Yeah. Well, right now with COVID, obviously the mm. dance world is sort of turned upside down, but I still love dance. I will always love dance and it will always be some parts of my identity for sure. But I don't know if I will ever return to the professional world. Right now, I feel really happy with dancing just for my own enjoyment and sort of being able to decide what projects I take and what I don't and having a bit more say in my in my work. When you're a part of a ballet company, you just sort of do what you're told so I'm really enjoying that I, I can be in the driver's seat of my life. <laughs> that feels really good. I still have a contract with Finnish National Ballet, 
but I don't know if I will if I will return. We shall see. <laughs> mm, sure. Oh, it must be nice yeah. to perhaps feel you've got your options open, but yeah. it sounds like, yeah. yeah, the place you're in at the moment sounds like it's really working for you and you're enjoying your writing and yeah, yeah sure. Yeah, and I'm I'm very inspired by those I mentioned those two books at some point that really gave me a lot of comfort and hope for for my future and I think right now I'm sort of searching for ways to contribute that as well to perhaps give someone else that sense of comfort Mm, yeah they're sure so like almost like acknowledging how much those books inspired and helped you yeah exactly you know, exactly yeah maybe you're, you'll be able to give back because I'm I'm sure as well Sylvie there are so many people that you know in the dance world who are not who are going to mm-hmm. really relate to your words and your story yeah I know that is, it is a big problem in the ballet world especially but I mean this, the diet culture and you know all, all this stuff it's <laughs> everyone is affected by it more or less but I think there's still the taboo with binge eating and purging is even bigger than with anorexia. There's something people still glorify your ability to restrict and be skinny, but nobody, nobody glorifies binging. <laughs> yeah, no, it's so glorified, but I don't know if you know what I mean. <laughs> there's yeah. even more shame, I feel like, yeah. uh, connected to, to binging. Yeah, no, so true, actually. I mean, one thing that's been really positive in the UK for our eating disorders awareness week last week, mm-hmm. binge eating disorder was sort of chosen as the eating disorder to sort of highlight and have more attention mm-hmm. on this year, which yeah, has been great. so positive because it, it is often overlooked, isn't it? Not talked yeah. about. And people feel like, oh, well, if I'm not really underweight, I haven't really got a proper eating disorder. And, exactly. Yeah. 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 And just not true at all. Yeah, um, definitely. So Subi as well, like last little question for you, you know, what, if you kind of have children, like you're not a mum now, are you? I'm not, don't want to. No, no. not yet. <laughs> sure. <laughs> no, lots of time ahead. But would you think, would you want your daughter to, if you have a daughter, would you want, if you had a daughter, would you want her to go into the dance world or how would you feel about that? Do you think? I would be very nervous about it, but I, I do have faith that the dance world is, evolving and moving in the right direction and I think obviously if it if it was something that my daughter or son wanted I wouldn't be in the way I think I would just I would be very nervous about it but I think there's there's things you can do to shield to shield children from that at least to some extent Mm. it's a hard question yeah no, it's, it's a really hard question, isn't it? And I think, yeah, you know, <laughs> things can change a lot as well, can't they? I mean, I kind of think yeah. how far things are already changing in, in terms of people shifting their ideas and and, mm-hmm. and not putting so much pressure on people. And I think, yeah. sorry, as well, are really relevant that you also said as well, if you had a son, because of course, it's not just it's not just girls that go into ballet or girls that have issues with body image. It's um, Yeah, yeah. Of, I mean, know. yeah, it's definitely, at least in the ballet world, females do struggle with it for sure more than than men because men don't have to be thin they just have to be fit but for yeah. females it's you know a step further with the need to be thin so you're definitely right there is a difference but having said that there are still male dancers who do struggle with body image and 
not even dancers, but a lot of males <laughs> in general. <laughs> yeah, of course, if it, it affects everyone. Yeah. Yeah, no, sure. Well, Zibi, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and thank sharing. Thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really appreciate it. And it's just so helpful to hear just you speak so honestly and openly, you know, about your story and also to hear how, you know, how you have really moved on and that you're in this mm-hmm. ongoing journey and finding kind of new ways of coping and like, mm-hmm. you know, forming a different identity, but perhaps also as well holding on to some of the things that were good apart yeah. from that life too yeah yeah thank you so much for for having me and I enjoyed the conversation <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this conversation just as much as I did and do go and check out all Suvi's details in the show notes if you're not following me already do seek me out on Instagram at the eating disorder therapist and if you're looking for more support in your relationship with food and body image do go to my website theeatingdisordertherapist.co.uk. Thank you so much for listening today. And if you enjoyed this episode, please do rate and review it. I would really appreciate this. And it means that this podcast gets to reach many more listeners. I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon. Mm